You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. My guest today is Parag Khanna, who is a senior fellow at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. Parag is also the author of several bestsellers, including How to Run the World, Hybrid Reality, and this one, Connectography, Mapping the Future of Global Civilization. And you got a new book coming out too, don't you, Parag? That's right. Technocracy in America. We're going to look forward to reading that as well. Let's go ahead and begin our conversation with you telling us what you mean by connectivity and how it is reshaping what we consider the traditional relationships between nation states that we all talked about in graduate school. That's right. Well, they're still there. A lot has changed, but some things haven't. But connectography is the story of how connectivity, which is a force and a thing, maps onto our geography, which we really take for granted. And I posit that connectivity is the most revolutionary force of the 21st century. But we think of connectivity as something that's ethereal, invisible, like I'm connected on my mobile phone, look, it's wireless. But in fact, there is a physical infrastructure that underpins this connectivity. It has come in three major waves, transportation systems like highways and railways, energy systems like pipelines and electricity grids, and communication systems like internet cables and the telegraphs that came before them. If you take these three layers over the last 150 years and now accelerating in the early 21st century, we have built such a dense volume of connectivity. I liken it to multicolored strings wrapping around the world like a ball of yarn. That volume of infrastructure, those lines of connectivity are simply way more important than our political boundaries. So profoundly more important that it shocks me that the maps that hang on our children's classrooms at school only show borders when they are not even a fraction as important as the connectivity that we have actually built. Not the lines on the map that we inherited from the French and the British empires, but the actual infrastructure that we go out and we build as a human civilization, as countries and people every single day. So this is a tour of all of that connectivity, what it means for us. I'm glad you mentioned transportation because in your book you talk about Dallas-Fort Worth as being a new global megacity. Go Dallas. Absolutely. <laughs> We're known for something other than the Cowboys. Right. But what really makes a difference here, and they always say the economic engine of DFW is our airport. So tell me about how other megacities are adapting to this new connectivity. Sometimes they have more than one airport, that's one thing, but certainly having a great airport is important. So what does it mean? It's not just good logistical, you know, ease of doing business. What it symbolizes is that the value, the economic value of a megacity or a major city like Dallas-Fort Worth is not just what happens here. It's the connectivity with other places. It's the fact that people who work for management consulting firms or for energy companies or for telecommunications or for American Airlines, they're always flying in and out. They're always doing business in other places. But the revenues, the talent, the knowledge, the digital flows, the financial flows are circulating into the city. So if I ask you, what's the GDP of Dallas? You could tell me what it is. If I ask you, how much of that GDP of Dallas depends on people and flows of data and finance that are circulating around the world and connecting Dallas to Dubai, to New York, to San Francisco, to Toronto, to Mexico City, 
you may not know that number, but if you really started to peel the onion, you know, mm -hmm. company by company, person by person, business traveler by business traveler, you would see that it's a lot. I'm sure so it'd be a high percentage. It here. would be a high percentage. And that's the thing about cities. The services economy is what really dominates. And that's how cities become so wealthy. Not because they still make the same automobiles that they made 50 years ago or 30 years ago, because they moved into the tertiary sector, which is the area of finance and services. But politically, you're also seeing a change where mayors are dealing with other mayors and even heads yes. of state are dealing with mayors and governors and in a way sort of bypassing the federal government. And that's what logically comes next. So that's why I had to coin, uh, there's two words I guess coined here. One is connectography, the other is diplomacity. And a chunk of this book is about the ways in which cities conduct diplomacy with each other, hence diplomacity, the diplomacy of cities. And I see this happening everywhere. And it turns out, if you quantify it, there are more than 200 intercity diplomatic networks. The C40 is obviously the most famous one, the climate network among major mayors from, you know, Michael Bloomberg was a pioneer as mayor of New York and mayors of Paris and London and so forth, all getting together and saying, if you really want to reduce emissions, it's not about signing lots of treaties. It's about saying, how can we as the cities and we emit the most emissions, we generate the most greenhouse gas emissions because we are the major industrial and carbon intensive cities. What can we do internally to reduce our emissions? And if you really want to solve climate change, it actually comes down to taking three or 400 cities and finding ways for them to reduce their carbon footprint. Okay, now let me be a devil's advocate for a minute because you do make a convincing case, but it cannot be discounted that your book was published this past April and we have seen what I would think some tectonic shifts in how globalization is viewed, the rise of Trump, Brexit. How do you respond to that? A big part of this book is about devolution and aggregation. Right? Devolution is when things fall apart. Empires collapse. Great Britain leaves the European Union. Scotland will leave Great Britain, right? That's all devolution. And a huge part of my argument is that that is a more powerful force even than democracy. When I see Brexit happen, it doesn't invalidate my thesis. It totally validates it. Because what we're seeing is not just Brexit or Scotland. We're seeing Catalonia. It's the fact that when the United Nations was founded, it had 50 members. Today, it has 200 members, mm -hmm. right? So devolution is by far the most powerful political force in the world. And I'm obsessed with it. In fact. But what I'm also equally seized with is the fact that these smaller and smaller units, smaller countries or cities that are increasingly autonomous, the first thing they want to do, the more autonomy they get, is to build more connections. They don't want to be tribal islands. Right? Barcelona doesn't want to secede from Spain in order to literally you know, try and survive on its own. It wants to join the EU. Scotland wants to join the EU. So the most important thing is also to remember that the way to measure Britain's connectivity with the world is not whether or not it's a member of the EU. There's a thousand other ways to measure its connectivity. How much foreign investment is coming in? How much trade does it do? How many passengers transit Heathrow Airport? How many foreign students are living there? How much capital is in its real estate market, right? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you five years from now, Britain will be more connected to the rest of the world than it is today, Brexit or no Brexit. Now, in just over two weeks, Americans will go to the polls. What are the three key geopolitical areas that the new president needs to look at right away? Energy is one. Let's say no particular order, but energy okay. obviously comes to mind because the United States during the course of the last decade has become the world's largest energy producer. I think everyone in Texas knows that. The question is, what do we do with it? And I believe that the most significant geopolitical decision of the last 25 years, and by the way, we're sitting here 25 years to the month, basically, that the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. The most significant geopolitical decision was Congress's decision in December of 2015, not even a year ago, to lift the ban on hydrocarbon exports. 
The United States now exports natural gas to Europe to help bail them out as they're being muscled around by Russia. And now, as of April this year, we sell oil to China. Five years ago, 10 years ago at this table, we would be having a conversation about how the US and China might fight World War III over oil. Instead, today, the US sells oil to China and China willingly buys it. The consensus is that Chinese imports of American oil will skyrocket in the next decade. So using our energy to create energy security for everyone, not hijacking oil markets the way OPEC has done in the past, that will never happen again thanks to America. So mm -hmm. that's one item. Another is obviously finance. American liquidity, the American dollar, is extremely important, right? It greases the world financial system. And even as we plan to raise interest rates, we have to be sure that we're not going to undercut the growth in the rest of the world on which actually our own growth depends because most of the Fortune 500 generates more revenues from abroad than from home. This is something that, as you know, with the debates about TPP and TTIP, not only does most of the public not properly understand the yeah. relationship between trade, investment, supply chains, jobs, and growth, but most of Congress doesn't get it. So let me say very clearly that these trade agreements that are currently being ripped up or threatened to be ripped up are actually a good thing for Americans. The fault is not in the trade policy. The fault is in our public policy. The fault is in not properly redistributing those gains, and that's how you wind up with a phenomenon like Donald Trump. So, you know, finance, energy, technology, security, obviously geopolitical, mm -hmm. security umbrellas, helping to support regional security institutions. There's a lot on the next A full agenda, it's no doubt. It's a full agenda. You know, Parag, we have a lot of students who listen to us. I'd like to ask you to tell them how can they best prepare for changing map of employment. Well, the changing map of employment is a great one. You have to be mobile. You have to be willing to move where the market is, where the jobs are. That usually means first-tier city or emerging city where there's affordable housing, where there's good education, where you can learn to adapt to technology, where you don't have to spend four years in university, especially if you just come out of university doing a whole other degree, but maybe there's going to be coding classes. You've got to be well-connected to the internet so you can do digital work. Most millennials are already in some way, shape, or form digital freelancers. The percentage of Americans who are self-employed has more than doubled since the financial crisis. What about a foreign language? It doesn't matter, just pick one and Get, be really good at it. But which one would you recommend? Code. Code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is very important. This is a political scientist who's well, saying so, that. You know, we moved to Singapore a while back and uh, our kids were learning Mandarin and they were doing extra classes as all kids do, at least over in Asia. And then my wife said, look, English and Chinese are not the two most important languages in the world. English and code are. And so Chinese became de-emphasized in our house, even though we live in the Chinese orbit. So it tells you something. Thanks so much for being with us. Parag Khanna, the author of Connectography. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org.